Hi again, Gary Zacharias with the Apologist Bookshelf. I've uh, completed a hundred podcasts, and I uh, hope you have a chance to go back and pick out some that sound interesting to you. But I thought uh, now that I've done one hundred, I want to go back because so many of these books have excellent chapters that I didn't have a chance to cover. I just have done one part or one chapter or just a, a small portion of each of these books just to give you a flavor of them. But now I'd like to go back and uh, find other really excellent chapters to share with you. So one of my favorite books by one of my favorite people is Cold Case Christianity. And if you look, it's way back, one of the first podcasts I did uh, by J. Warner Wallace. And uh, I can't say enough good things about it. Uh, this is Wallace looking at uh, the, the New Testament especially. And uh, so he, he is a detective, basically, and uh, treats the New Testament as a detective would treat a cold case. And he ended up coming to the realization, wow, the case for Christianity is convincing that anything that he'd worked on as a detective. So excellent person. I hope you have a chance to go to coldcasechristianity.com and just see the immense riches that are available for you. He has come to our church. He's spoken to our apologetics class. I uh, had a chance to hang out with him, and uh, he's as warm and as friendly and as humble as anybody I've ever seen. So excellent person. If you have a chance to ever get him to come to your church, uh, do that. What a nice person. Well, here's the chapter I wanted to look at this time. It's uh, chapter 11. It's titled, Were They Present? And he says that when he was a non-believer, and he was an atheist for years, for 35 years, I think, of his life. And his dad said, you know, I'm an atheist, but you're an angry atheist. And Wallace used to talk to Christians and just couldn't buy into Christianity. And he accepted all sorts of skeptical claims. And one of the claims was that the Gospels were late, that they were second century. So that's what uh, he bought into because there were critics like Bart Ehrman and so if they're second century, they're late. They're so late that they were not eyewitnesses. They're just either making up stuff or just passing on rumors. So he said he started investigating this. He said he wanted to decide, needed to decide how close were the Gospels to the time of Jesus. Were they way up and maybe even up to the 300s when uh, you have the establishment of the church and church councils? Or... Were they closer to the life of Jesus around the 30s A.D.? So he says uh, he's going to put together circumstantial evidence that he says makes a great case for the early dating of the gospel. So that's what I'd like to go over today. He said there are a lot of good reasons to believe the gospel writers were in the first century, very close to the time of Jesus. So what he does in a way is he takes that timeline, he moves closer and closer from the 300s back to the early uh, time of Jesus. So one way, one uh, piece of evidence is the New Testament doesn't say anything about the destruction of the temple. I mean, that was the most significant Jewish historical event in the first century. That was 70 AD, and there's nothing about it. And Jesus had predicted that the temple would come down. So you'd think that if that was important to Jesus and it and the people who wrote in the in the second century, they would have mentioned it but it's not there at all. Um, here's item number two. Why do we think the New Testament is back into the first century? Because it doesn't describe the siege of Jerusalem. Because for three years, 
there were there were Roman soldiers that had surrounded the city and they had battles and skirmishes and they set fire to the city walls and it was just a monstrous undertaking and people dying right and left. It was a huge event. Nothing about that three-year siege is in any New Testament document. So item one, we don't hear about the fall of Rome, uh, fall of Jerusalem. Number two, we don't hear anything about the siege of the city. Number three, Luke writes about Peter and Paul in the book of Acts, and they're prominent. They're all over the place, especially it's first uh, you hear about Peter a lot, and then it shifts to Paul, and Luke talks about we as if he was going with Paul on some of these missionary voyages. So they become the center of the book of Acts. But what happens at the book of Acts? Paul's alive. He's under house arrest, but he's alive at the book of Acts. And you'd think, considering Luke spends time telling about the martyrdom of Stephen, which in the grand scheme of things was a fairly small deal, but nothing about the martyrdom of either Paul or Peter. Well, we have good evidence to believe that Paul was martyred in Rome in 64 AD and Peter shortly afterward in 65 AD, but they're not mentioned at all. And you know that Luke would have covered that if he could have. But that seems to suggest we could move Luke earlier than that. Well, then we've got James. There's the brother of Jesus. He became a leader of the church. And we we see him in Acts 15. He's mentioned prominently there. Now, he was martyred in the city of Jerusalem in 62 AD. But just like Paul and Peter, nothing about him. Even though the death of Stephen is described and James, the brother of John, that's in Acts 12. But nothing about the brother of Jesus. So now we're moving back in early 60s. And keep in mind, here's item number five. Luke's gospel is earlier than the book of Acts. So if Acts doesn't cover some things, then you know Luke is even earlier than that. Here's another piece of evidence. Paul, in about 63 or 64, when he was writing to Timothy, he references Luke's gospel like it was circulating and pretty common knowledge. That's in 1 Timothy 5. He says, uh, The scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Well, he calls scripture the Old Testament reference. That's the threshing reference. That's Deuteronomy. But the laborer is worthy of his wages. That's Luke 10, 7. So that seems to be common knowledge. All right. Well, then here's another piece of evidence. Even the most skeptical scholars are going to agree that Paul is the author at least of Romans and the Corinthians and Galatians, and they're dated somewhere between 48 to 60 AD. Now, the letter of Romans is interesting. Paul begins by saying Jesus is the resurrected Son of God. So, just 17 years after the resurrection, we see that Jesus is described as divine. This is not something that's taking up time and beginning to be put together. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, this is verses 3 to 8, Paul describes the gospel message there, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised, he appeared to the disciples, appeared to 500 people. And then we've got his letter to the Galatians. Paul describes interacting with Peter and James, and that was 14 years prior to writing Galatians. That was the mid-50s. So that means that Paul saw the risen Christ, he learned about the gospel accounts from the eyewitnesses within five years of the crucifixion. Most scholars, in fact, place Paul's conversion about 33 to 36, 
And in Galatians, he said he visited Peter and James within three years of that. So I know this is a lot of math coming at people, but this is saying Paul is echoing these gospel writers that this is very early. Here's another piece of evidence. Paul quotes Luke's gospel in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, the Lord uh, Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. And we know the rest of that, of course. So Luke appears to be quoting, I'm sorry, Paul appears to be quoting Luke's gospel. So here's another piece of evidence. Luke, remember we've been kind of hinging everything on Luke here. Well, Luke is quoting Mark and Matthew. And because he admits that he was not the eyewitness. And so he quotes all sorts of things from Mark. Something like 350 verses from Mark appears in Luke's gospel. And he seems to have a lot of knowledge of Matthew. 250 verses from Matthew appear in Luke's account. So what's the reasonable uh, way to interpret all of this? Mark's account was already recognized, accepted, and available to Luke when he was putting his gospel together. So we know Mark's earlier. So he then spends some time talking about how Mark's gospel appears to be very early. It's brief. It's not ordered as clearly as the other Gospels. It's filled with a lot of action. There's a sense of urgency. It's, uh, he calls it kind of like a crime broadcast where you shoot out the essentials without worrying about your prose. So the accuracy of the account was more important to Mark than anything else. He wasn't writing an ordered biography of any kind, so it seems to be very, very early. And it says Matthew and Luke, though, appear to be writing with a different intent. They're more robust and they're more ordered. Another piece of evidence that uh, Wallace talks about is the fact that Mark appears to be protecting some key players as if they were still alive. So there are a lot of unidentified anonymous characters that are in a pretty key position, but Mark won't name them. So as an example, we get the story of the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, and Mark just reports that one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. We don't know who those are. Until we read later, John identifies Peter as the attacker and Malchus is a person being attacked. Okay, Mark also will not identify the woman who anoints Jesus at the home of Simon the leper. That's in Mark 14. Again, John, that everybody agrees was written later, he says it was Mary, the Martha sister, who did that. So the, the way we can assume this is Mark is writing while these people are still alive and doesn't want the Jewish leadership to identify them, to target them. So John, on the other hand, is writing late enough that probably Peter and Malchus and Mary are already dead, so then he could identify them. So what are we talking about here? Well, so the book of Acts was probably written in the early 60s. Luke's gospel is written before that, so we could put that, according to Wallace, in the late 50s, mid to late 50s A.D. Mark's gospel is even earlier than Luke's, so that would be maybe late 40s or early 50s. Now, he's got a, a nice little chart here that shows the temple destroyed 70 A.D., and this chart runs backward, this timeline runs backward until the time of Jesus. So let me do that. I'm going to run it backwards in time to kind of summarize everything. The temple is destroyed in 70 A.D., not mentioned in any of the Gospels. Siege of Jerusalem, 67 to 70. The deaths of James and Peter and Paul, 61 to 65, again, not mentioned. 
So then we've got Luke writing Acts, maybe in the late 50s. Paul is quoting Luke in the mid-50s, as if we know that the book of Luke is probably around that time. So Luke will probably be mid to early 50s, but he's not first. So now we move even further to the left. We've got Mark writing in the mid to late 40s, Jesus up to 33. So he says, the reasonable inference from all this evidence is that the Gospels were written very early when the eyewitnesses and the writers were alive. They could testify to what they could see. So I think that's powerful evidence. Now it's indirect, it's circumstantial. No problem with that. Uh, he's got another chapter in his book that talks about the value of circumstantial evidence. So I'm going to leave it at that. Um, he even has in the rest of the chapter, and I don't think I'll take the time to do it, but why do some people continue to deny that? In other words, what are some of the objections? And then he refutes those objections. And so this is a great chapter. Uh, and so, uh, again, I would say this is a book you need to have, Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. Super guy. Uh, look for some of his work and uh, enjoy him. He's a terrific uh, individual as well. If you can get him to come to your church, that would be a wonderful thing. Okay, so thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and we'll do another one soon.